ask you to please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we consider our passage this morning. Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians, Acts chapter 4, and I'll be preaching this morning from verses 23 to 31, but, but again, to set the context, it focused on these, uh, the whole, uh, from the beginning of chapter 4 last week, so I'm actually going to read that for us again, um, but Ephesians, I did it again, Acts chapter 4, uh, 1 to 31, this is the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred one with another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than, so whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Holy and triune God, we bow in your presence. For you are the almighty God. Lord, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so, Lord, as your people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, are your people who are indwelt with your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to hear your word and to respond to your word with faith and obedience. We praise you, Lord, that we have been indwelt with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would help us to be bold in the proclamation of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. We so easily fall to fear of man. Help us to know that there is nothing that anyone can do apart from your sovereign will. And Lord, all that you ordain in your sovereign plan is for your glory and for our good. So help us, Lord, to consciously submit to you. Help us, Lord, to be so filled with love and worship for you that we cannot help but proclaim the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to be filled with love even for those who would persecute us for the faith. Lord, help us to boldly proclaim the gospel even to them. Help us, Lord, we pray. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been on a flight or in a supermarket checkout line? You're having a conversation with the person beside you, and you felt that you really should talk to this person about Jesus. But you decided not to. Maybe it was, it was fear of, of offending them. Or, or maybe because you, you didn't want them to, to think that, that you were some kind of a Bible thumper. But you walked away feeling guilty. I know I have. It's happened to me on, on another number of occasions and I did not share the gospel with someone because I was more concerned about their opinion of me than it was about God's. More accurately, I was more afraid of that person than I was of God. The philosopher Plato said that courage is knowing what not to fear. But the Bible says that wisdom is knowing who to fear. Wisdom is knowing who to fear. A couple of years ago, when I, when I preached on Luke 12, 1 to 12, and in verses 4 to 6, Jesus says, I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you, rather, whom to fear? Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. As I talked to the kids, I explained that, that firefighters often fight fire with fire, but we should fight fear with fear. We fight the fear of man with the fear of God. And I still believe that when we have a holy fear of God, we will not fear man, but we will be free to obey God, whether it is in evangelism or in any of our Christian duties. 
So when you walked away from, from that conversation where you felt you should share the gospel, but, but didn't, what did you do about it? What did you do about it? Did, did you actually somehow begin to change your, your practice or, or something of, of the way that, that you respond to these situations so that you would stop doing it? You know, years ago when I was, I was involved in, in Narcotics Anonymous, they had a definition of insanity. It says that, that ins, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You see, if, if, you, if you go into those situations, if you go into a situation, okay, you know you're going to get on a plane, you know, you know, go, you know you're going to the supermarket, and, and, you, and you, you don't do anything different, What's going to happen in those conversations? You're just going to do the same thing that you've always done. So something has to change in order, to, in order for you to have a, a changed approach to those circumstances and, and, and those situations. It's, it's, it's a principle that really applies more broadly. But speaking specifically here of evangelism, what have you done or what should you do in order to have a different response? Well, one of the things that... that that we can and should and really must do is identified here for us in Luke, in, in Acts chapter 4. I'll get the passage right. In Acts chapter 4, 23 to 31. Pray. Pray. Pray that, that God would, would give you a holy fear of him that would supersede any temporal fear of man. Pray that, that God would help you to understand who he is and who you are in him so that you will have no fear of any other human being or really of anything else because everything assumes its proper place under the, the authority and the lordship of, of your heavenly father. Ask God to give you a holy fear of him that leads to boldness in your conversations in all of your conversations, and perhaps I could say especially in your conversations with unbelievers. Now, it, 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 I mean, it, it's, it seems obvious, but we don't, we don't do it, do we? So when you're, when you're about to go into those circumstances, you can say, God, please, please give me the opportunity to share the gospel with, with whoever you're, you're, you're sending to me. This, this, my time on this airplane is, is under your sovereign hand. You, you have, have ordained that this person would sit next to me. Please work in their heart to make them receptive to the gospel. And please help work in my heart to make me bold to share the gospel, even if they think that, that even if they're offended, even if they think I'm some kind of a crazy Bible thumper. Because I care about you and your opinion to me more than what this, this person thinks of me. And God is, is going to, God's going to answer that prayer. And you might not, you might not necessarily immediately see the response to that, uh, that prayer as we, we see God answers this, this prayer here in Acts chapter four, but, but quite often you'll, you'll see the answer to the prayer. And who knows, but maybe at some point down the track as, as you share the gospel with that person, who knows, maybe, maybe years down the track, this person will remember what you said to them and they'll come to saving faith. And, and, and you, when you stand before Jesus, you, this person will, I don't know how it's going to work, but this person will come up to you and say, thank you 
for being bold enough to share the gospel with me. I'm sorry that, that I was a jerk in response to you, but, but, but thank you. I'm in the kingdom of heaven because you shared the gospel with me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Don't you want that? I know I want that. May, may our church be, be, be compelled with, with, again, a, a holy fear of God that's related to the, the, the love of God and the love of others so that we will share the gospel with others. So this morning, we're going to consider how to pray for boldness from God from Acts chapter 4, 23 to 31. By way of review, last week, we, we looked at, at verses um, 1 to, to 22, and, and I really want to do a, a brief review of, of that sermon because th- th- these Two passages really meant to go together. It really, chapter chapter one, verse one to, to verse um, thirty one is is really really one is, can be one sermon, but it would have been too long, so I, I, I broke it in half. Um, here at the beginning of, of, of chapter four, really, really, passage actually even goes further back. It goes back to. to Acts chapter 3, because what happened was, remember when, when Peter and John were going into the temple, they, they, they came across this, this man who had been born crippled. And he, he asked them for money, and they said, well, we don't have money to give you, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And immediately the man stands up, but doesn't just stand up, but he, he jumps for joy, he he leaps for joy as he has now been healed. And as we can see in the context of that, that passage, it, it it seems like the man actually was not just just physically healed, but spiritually healed. It seemed that he actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter, the, the crowd came rushing to see, because everybody knew who this guy was. He'd been out there, and he said he was, um, we, we find out later on that he was actually, this man was over 40 years old, and, and he'd been out there every day for, for years. And so all the people in the temple, they recognize this guy. And so the people come rushing. Peter takes the opportunity to preach. He preaches the word. As we see, again, this is the, the sign of, of the, the miracle. He provides an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so Peter preaches. And really the crux of his message was in verses 14 to 16. Um, speaking now to... Um, to the to the people, to the Jews, you deny the holy and righteous one and ask for a murder to be, murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And so Peter called. Peter called his listeners to repentance and faith in the name of Jesus Christ. But before he could finish here at the beginning of, of chapter 4, Peter was ambushed by a group of Sadducees. And the Sadducees here included the priests and the captain of the temple. To get a bit of background, the Sadducees denied life after death. They did not believe there was any such thing as the resurrection. So they were ticked. They were supremely ticked that here these men we're preaching the resurrection, especially that they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. And so they arrested Peter and John, his, his apostolic partner in crime. And, and what we experience here is the, the first persecution of the church. And there have been many, many persecutions since then. And it is ongoing to this day in many parts of the world. But this was the first. The church is still newborn, but this was the first persecution. 
but it didn't stop the growth of the church. Persecution never stops the growth of the church. In fact, it's been said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the, the seeds of the church. Persecution actually quite often helps the church to grow. And certainly this, this was, was, there was already growth, but the growth continued. As, as we see here, the, the church continued to swell and has now included 5,000 men. And that figure probably doesn't even include women and children. Many thousands of people are now in the church. But Luke's focus here, again, is not on the growth in the church. It's in the persecution of the church. It's in the opposition to the church. So the newborn church, newborn church here is being attacked by the religious authorities. And in the coming weeks, even next week, we'll, we'll see the opposition that comes from within. But for now, the opposition comes from the outside. So here, Peter and John, now they're, they're in prison overnight. And then what happens is the Sanhedrin, which is the, the religious ruling council, they're now gathered, they're gathered together to deal with Peter and John. Now remember, the Sanhedrin is this, these are the same men who are responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And now they're here gathered to deal with Peter and John. And the Sanhedrin is, is, as we know, is, is made up of, of Sadducees, who we discussed, and, the, and these, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders and the, the priests, especially the high priest. And so these are the, the religious muckety mucks. These are the, these are the big shots as far as the, the authority in the, the, in Judaism, in Jerusalem. And so now, now Peter and John are, are before these men and they're questioned. And they ask, by what authority or by what name did you do this? Now, Peter responds with what, with what is now his third sermon in the book of Acts. And, and this sermon, it's, we just have a brief excerpt of it here, but, but it contains, the sermon, as we can see, contains five elements, that, that five elements that are identified in, in, uh, by Alan Thompson in his book, The Acts of the, of the Risen Lord Jesus. I really like that title. Uh, I wish I'd thought of that as a title for this series, The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. These five elements are in virtually every sermon in Acts. Okay, five elements. It's God-centered, Christ-focused, response-oriented, audience-conscious, and bold. Really, every sermon ought to be these things. I pray that God, by God's grace, this sermon will be these things. Again, God-centered, Christ-focused, response-oriented, audience-conscious, and bold. And here we see all of these things, especially where our attention is being drawn to the boldness. Now, if these men were, were to, if I was in, in Peter's situation here, and, and these men were to ask me the same question, I would probably answer bluntly, Jesus Christ. Now, it's right. That's the right answer. But I'm about as subtle as a two-by-four. Peter is much more wise in his response. The Holy Spirit has filled Peter, enabled Peter to be bold, but also to speak shrewdly. He speaks boldly, but also he speaks shrewdly. He says, rulers of 
the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. You see that he's, he's essentially got the same message as he given to the people in chapter 3. But notice here that they had, they had asked the, the question generally. They said, by what authority do, you, authority do you do this? But from the context, you can see that they weren't focused on the, the healing. They were focused on the preaching. By what authority do you preach these things? But Peter wisely answers. They're, 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 they're imprecise in the question, so he answers a different question than the one they're asking. They wanted to know by what authority, by power authority preached, but he told them by what power and authority he healed. And this gave him the opportunity to yet again proclaim Jesus Christ, the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. He said they have, if, if they denied Jesus Christ, they'd be denying the sign. And so again, this opened the door for Peter to preach Christ again. Very wise. May we, may we learn from, from this and be, be empowered similarly in, 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 in the situations that the Lord places us. So again, these men, the, these, these men of the Sanhedrin, these religious authorities, the, the, the rulers, the scribes, the elders and the Pharisees, uh, Sadducees and, and Pharisees together, these were the ones who had handed Jesus over to the Romans, de- demanding his crucifixion. And now Peter's standing before them, charging them with the guilt of Christ's death and proclaiming God's power in his resurrection. So again, Peter's saying, as he said in chapter 3, that the power and authority to heal this man came through the name of Jesus Christ. And so Peter's proclaiming who Jesus is and revealing his continuing work, the, the works of the risen, the acts of the risen Christ. And here Peter cites Psalm 18, 118, verse 22 against them, the same psalm that Jesus had used against them in Luke 2014, that Christ is the stone that the builders rejected, but God has made him the head of the corner. These religious authorities had rejected Jesus, but God had given him ultimate authority. Verse 12. So here Peter's sermon reaches the climax. His declaration, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so the Sanhedrin now recognized that these unlearned men had been with Jesus because they they preached with boldness and with great wisdom, just like Jesus. And these men are being presented with a choice. Choose Jesus or reject Jesus. And that is really the the ultimate choice that that each person must, must face. The ultimate choice, choose Jesus or reject Jesus. It's the choice that's before everyone. There's only one right answer. There's only one right way. Choose Jesus. But these men don't. They chose to reject Jesus and tried to silence Peter and John by commanding them not to preach again in the name of Jesus. Now, the story's not over for these men. We'll be told later in Acts that even many of the priests, many of these same men, actually came to faith in Jesus but not yet. Don't be discouraged. If somebody rejects the gospel again and again and again, you don't know what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do in their hearts down the track. But at this point, these religious leaders who are supposed to point people 
to God pointed people away from God and the only way to God through Jesus Christ. And so again, Peter and John responded boldly. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. 4, 19 and 20. So they answer the same high priest in the, in the same way. And in 529, we must obey God rather than men. And so the Sanhedrin were afraid of the response of the people because the people were praising God for healing the lame man. And so they threatened Peter and John and then let them go. Now we get to verse 23. As soon as Peter and John were released, they went straight to their friends. Right? I, th- I think you and I would do the same thing. With If, if we had faced some kind of persecution, we, we would go to where the church is gathered and, and want, to, to want the, the support and, and, and fellowship of the church. I know I can think of, of times that, that, that I have, have experienced rejection by, by those close to me, by loved ones, for, for the gospel. And I found solace, I found comfort in the church. I know many of us can testify to, to the same thing. So they go straight to the to their brothers and sisters. And they relate what had happened. They, they tell them what the, the Sanhedrin had said to them, especially the command not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. So how does the church respond? Did, did, they, did they lower their voices and cower? Did they scatter? Did, did they, they raise their fists and say, they have no right to do that to us? No. They lifted their voices and prayed together. They lifted their voices and prayed together. This news did not drive them to despair. It drove them to their knees. It drove them to their knees. I wonder for you, is, is prayer your, your last resort or, does the first port- or is it the first protocol? When something happens in your life, do you, and especially a trial, do you do, try to do everything that you can do in order to fix the problem and then only when that doesn't work, then you go to God in prayer? I think that's the natural human response. But, but may we be those who, who immediately when something happens, go immediately to God, saying, God, please help me. Please help us. Please help my brother and sister in this situation. Brothers and sisters, God is not a lowly miser. He is your heavenly Father. He delights in answering your prayers. He loves you in Christ Jesus. He he is imploring you to come to Him. He is commanding you to come to Him as your heavenly Father with with whatever it is on your heart. There's nothing too difficult for God. Even even if the difficulty is self-imposed, even if the difficulty is something you did yourself by your sin, God doesn't say, that's it, I'm done with you. He says, no, come to me. Oh, you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God is bidding you to come to him with whatever it is. He already knows what it is anyway. 
but he's wanting to shape and mold you and to cause you to grow in fellowship with him as you come to him, as you, you grow in the personal, as the, the Puritans said, the experimental knowledge of him, the, the personal experiential knowledge of God and fellowship with God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, some of my most, most in, intimate, heartfelt prayers have been in the times of deep trial. And my prayers, those times were not eloquent. They were not profound. Sometimes it was simply, Lord Jesus, help. And he did. He does every single time. So let's, let's, let's begin to look a little bit more in depth at, at their prayer now. Look, first of all, look at who prayed. Look at who prayed. They prayed together. This was a, a tight-knit community. This was a, a spiritual family, and it was reflected in their prayer. Now, I have experienced sweet times in prayer with, with many of you. You know, next to my wife, the person that, that I pray to the most, pray with the most, well, I pray to the same person, I don't ever pray to my wife, the, same, the person I pray most with is probably two people, to be Pastor Joshua and Daryl. You know, the, the times that, that we spend together in prayer, Pastor Joshua and I pray that through our, our, our meetings as elders are are saturated in prayer as we we don't talk about anything without praying for it. We don't talk about, about any of you and the, the situations and trials that you're facing without praying for you. And and with with Daryl, we 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 pray together at the, the hospital for end of abortion every Tuesday. Except last Tuesday when, when we had when we had sickness in the home, but but almost every Tuesday. And 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 almost every Thursday we, we come together and we pray and and I and our fellowship is very sweet. My fellowship with, with Pastor Josh and my fellowship with Daryl is, is very sweet because of all these times we spend in prayer. It, it, we, we go to God together. But I have to say that, that I, I think in our culture that, that corporate prayer has fallen on hard times. You know, the church that I attended in Louisville, it was, a, it was a really solid church. The church was about 300 people at the time. It's, it's grown much bigger now. But, but at the Wednesday prayer meeting, there would have, would have been on average probably about 50 people. The church that, that I, I was at in Australia, I was serving as a lay elder there, there was, it was a church of, of close to 1,000. And, and I coordinated the weekly prayer meeting. But there would be less than 20 people. Out of a church of a thousand. Prayer has fallen on hard times. Corporate prayers, prayer especially, has fallen on hard times. You know, we have as, as men, we have the, the men's prayer breakfast. And, and again, I would commend that to you. There are, there are sweet times of, of prayer together. As, as one of the brothers will, will, will take us through a passage of Scripture, and then we'll, we'll talk more about this later, we'll pray through that passage of Scripture. I know that the ladies spent significant time in prayer during the ladies' Bible study. I know it was, um, Karen testified to that this morning during Sunday school, and, and, I, and I see it in our house on Thursday evening at the other ladies' Bible study. 
we are, our care groups are, are prayer forms an important part of our, our care groups as well. But even with that in mind, I'd love to see prayer take an even more central part in our body life. Remember what we saw in, in Acts chapter 2, 42 to, to 47, that these Christians devoted themselves to prayer. They didn't just pray. They devoted themselves to prayer. So again, we need to pray for prayer. We need, we're going to pray for pray for boldness. We need, we need to pray for prayer. Pray that we be more of a praying people. And, and if you have suggestions, I know a couple people have mentioned things. If you have suggestions as to ways we can incorporate more prayer into our body life, I, I would ask if you could come and talk to, to Pastor Joshua or to myself, and we would, would be happy to, to engage and talk with you about these things and try to see ways we can do this. One idea that 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 I have is for people as we we have a fair few people coming to the, the um, Sunday school service, the adult Sunday school part, um, and we have almost a half hour between the, um, between the, the end of Sunday school and the, the start of the service. Wouldn't that be a great time? For, for those who are able, I know people are doing different ministries and preparing, wouldn't that be a great time for us to come together and pray? To, to pray for the service. To pray for those who are here. To pray for those who are there who are as unbelievers. Again, this is, we'll, we'll, we'll be, we're already here. Many of us, well, let's pray. But again, if you have other ideas, please, you know, Pastor Josh and I have talked about, about having a, a, occasional um, prayer and worship nights um, together, perhaps on, on Sunday evenings. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that as we, as we go on. But, but, but so that's who, who prayed. Next, notice how they prayed. How they prayed. Pastor Derek Thomas points out that this is a model prayer. A, a model prayer. This, this prayer from the early church can provide a model for us in our prayers. It teaches us not just what to pray, but how to pray. It shows us how godly people responded to a trial in bringing their needs before the Lord. Commentator John Polhill and other commentators as well, Dennis Johnson as well, points out that, that, that this prayer was, was influenced by Old Testament prayers. Right, there was a pattern in Old Testament prayers that was reflected in, in this prayer. And specifically, um, Paul Hill and Johnson both point out that, that very likely this was a specific prayer. A, a prayer that they would have been very familiar with. King Hezekiah's prayer when Sennacherib and the Assyrian army came to, to, to besiege Jerusalem. It, it was the passage that... that Pastor Joshua read for us during the call to worship this morning. This was a was a, a this prayer is actually reflected very closely on on that prayer. Let's turn there for a moment, please, to uh, Isaiah chapter thirty-seven. Isaiah thirty-seven uh, fifteen. This, this is also recorded for us in uh, in Second Kings nineteen fourteen to nineteen. But but here in Acts, uh, sorry, Isaiah thirty-seven. Okay, so first of all, notice how Hezekiah, so Hezekiah receives th this letter that's speaking of, of what, this is from Rabshakeh, who's, who's calling the people to, to come out and to, to sur surrender, or, or the Assyrian army, massive, massive army, is going to, to come in and we are going to destroy Jerusalem. And so King Hezekiah immediately goes to prayer. He goes to prayer. And, and notice, first of all, how he addresses, keep your finger back in Acts 4 and, and just look, look back there, but notice how God is addressed. He's addressed 
in, in both prayers as Lord and creator of all things. Okay, both prayers, Hezekiah and here the, the early church, they're addressing God as the Lord and creator of all things. And then both prayers bring before the Lord the, the fact that powerful enemies are threatening them. Like more, they're more powerful than, than they are. These are, are, are very, these are very real threats. From a human perspective, something to be feared. And only then, after, after doing this, then they, they bring a specific petition to the Lord. And this is where the, the prayers now diverge, as we'll see shortly. Okay, but, but this, this framework of, of addressing God first in, in prayer, and then coming back to, to a principle in, in God's word and, and the, the issue before you, and then praying to God, then petitioning the Lord. And so in, so in this here, with Hezekiah's prayer, and this, this prayer in, in Acts 4, th- these are, are great examples of how to pray Scripture. Of how to pray Scripture. And, and I, I, I know some of us are familiar with, with this concept of, of praying Scripture. And, but but if, if you aren't aware of this, and, or, if, if you, or if you know about it but don't do it, I just, I just want to commend to you the, the practice of, of praying Scripture. Specifically of, of praying scripture. Now, many people feel guilty about their prayer life. In fact, I don't know really any, any of you who are, are confident that, that, that you've arrived in your, in your prayer life. And that's good because none of us have. Okay, if you think you've arrived, then think about, about Jesus' prayer life. Okay, that's the perfect standard. Okay, none of us have arrived in prayer. But, but, pe- so people, when they, they, when we, when I pray, if, there's times, been times in my life when I hardly prayed at all. And if, if I did, it was, was really short, distracted prayers. Like, you relate to that? Or, or repetitive prayers. But I really think that, that, so I think that one of the key reasons why people don't pray as they should, because they don't know how to pray as they should. And so we tend to, to repeat the same old things the same old way. And that was me. So, so my, my, quite off my mind would, would drift and as I was praying or, or again, I would just pray habitual prayers. And then I wondered why my prayer life wasn't fulfilling. But then one day in seminary, I was, was studying with a friend and he introduced me to the concept of praying scripture. Now this is, the, the, this man was, was Nate Shane, one of the missionaries that, that our church supports. Many of you have, have met him. Nate taught me how to pray the truths of the Bible. He said, you simply take a passage of scripture and, and work through it, praying the key points. Now, it doesn't specifically have to be praying an actual prayer in scripture, but that's a good way to learn. You can really pray any passage of scripture. I find the Psalms to be a, a great guide for prayer. God speaks to us in his word, and we pray his word back to him. We can, as Robert Murray McShane said, turn the Bible into prayer. And when that happens, is, as Don Whitney says in his excellent book, Praying the Bible, he says, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to help the people of God in, to pray increasingly according to the will of God. Many of you were here when I preached a sermon series on what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. 
And this was, I did this series with the express purpose of teaching the church how to pray scripture. You see, in the, the, in this prayer, Jesus is not teaching, again, he's not teaching the disciples what to pray, he's teaching them how to pray. He's not providing them with a rote prayer, but with a framework for prayer. Let's just, just take a, again, this is, let's take a quick look at it to consider how you can, you can pray the, the Lord's prayer. Please turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. This is in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and so he responds in verse, verse 9, pray then like this. Many of you know this. You could probably recite it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, many of us can memorize, have memorized that. Many of us have, have unfortunately been taught to, to just to pray this as a rote prayer. But, but when you pray things rote like that, especially re- repetitively, it just, the words lose, lose any meaning. This was not meant to be a rote prayer. It was meant to be a model prayer or a pattern for prayer. And really praying through this prayer as a, as a model or a, as a pattern for prayer is really, uh, again, it's a great introduction to, to praying scripture and it's really a most blessed way to start your day. Again, Jesus was teaching his disciples not what to pray, but how to pray. You begin Father in heaven. And so you, you pray thanking God for the fact that, 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 that the God of the universe, the God of, of all creation is your heavenly Father. And he's your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Through all that, that Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for you. God is now your heavenly father. And then and you, you can pray just, just that, that address of, the, of that prayer. You can spend a long time just praying that. Okay, then the first petition is, hallowed be your name. So you're, you're asking God to help you to regard him as holy. In the, the, in the Sunday school this morning, Sinclair Ferguson was talking about the names of God. And so when you, when you want God's, when you are asking that God's name be hallowed, you're asking that, that you would regard God for who he is, that God's name reflects who he is. We think of Yahweh, I am. That, that tells us a great deal about who God is. We think of, of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God is our provider. And so you're, you're praying that God would be hallowed in your life and you're praying that God would be hallowed in your, in your prayer. And you work through the petitions. Praying for, for God's kingdom to come is, is praying that God's kingdom would be advanced in your heart and in the hearts of, of those around you. That God's kingdom would be advanced in the church and that God's kingdom would be consummated with the return of Christ. And so you work through each of those petitions. The, the, the fourth one is where we turn to praying uh, praying for now for our needs. Our Praying for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread is a confession that you need God for everything, that every day you need everything in your life that you need materially comes from God. So it can in, involve praying for health. If you're single and want to get married, it can be I mean, pray, praying for a spouse. It, it could be praying for, for all these things. And you work through those six petitions praying. And you could, you could spend, you could spend hours just praying, praying through the, the, the model prayer every day and, and not repeat yourself. 
because of the fullness of what's there. So that's that. I hope that that's just. I want that to be be an introduction or a, or a reintroduction to the concept of of praying scripture. So then, with the concept of praying scripture in mind, let's let's focus specifically on this prayer before us. Notice again that the prayer begins with God. God should be the first thought in all of our prayers. And we should be thinking of God all throughout our prayers. After all, he's the Lord and we are his subjects. Again, hallowed be your name. And so so this prayer in Acts 4 begins with God's greatness and glory. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And beginning your prayer in this way helps you to put everything in its proper perspective. Everything now fits into its proper place under the authority and the rule of Almighty God. It sets the tone for your prayer. It's the worship and the adoration of Almighty God. God is at the head, and everything else must be seen in the light light of who He is. And in this case, it's recognizing that He is the sovereign Lord, that He is in control of all things, that He is is providentially ruling and reigning over all things. And so now think about this in light of of these, these disciples in the early church. From a human perspective, they've got no power. They're started by a bunch of Galilean nobodies. And although there's a a, a mix now in the the church, as as many thousands have come to faith, they they are still, they they have no social cachet in the culture. They're very much on the outside looking in. And so, when they think now of the the threats, when when they say that they threaten them, remember what they did to Jesus. And the implication is, we can do the same thing to you. But now, even though the situation looks bleak, they're saying, God, you are in control and we trust you. You are in control and we trust you. Maybe your situation looks bleak, but now superimpose over your situation. God, you are in control and I trust you. Now we need to pray like this. In in every situation that we find ourselves, entrusting ourselves to the Lord's providential care. Next, the prayer recognizes that God is the creator. He made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. Creation is his creation. He rules and he reigns over all. There is not one rogue molecule in all of creation. And this brings great comfort for them in the church, right? Because, and for us, because as Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence of which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. They recognize that everything belongs to Christ. They recognize that they belong to Christ. And so now the prayer addresses this this threat, this this existential threat that they're facing, the threat of their enemies. He quotes here Psalm 2, which they testify that David spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're saying that, by saying this was, that he said this in the power of the Spirit, they're saying it was prophetic, that David was prophesying the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the hands of Herod, Pilate, the Romans, and the nation of Israel. 
And notice here as well that they, they refer to Jesus as God's holy servant. This is another reference to the, the servant songs of Isaiah. The most familiar to us is Isaiah 52.13 to 53.12. 53.11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In this prayer, they recognize that Jesus is anointed by God. Now that word anointed should, should be familiar to you. The, the, the word anointed in Hebrew is Messiah, and in Greek is Christos. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He is God's Messiah. He is God's Christ. And so they understood, that in the early church, they understood that the persecution by earthly authorities was, was directed not ultimately against them or, or personally against them, but against the Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ. They recognized even more than that, that this was, was part of a, of a cosmic battle. There, there was a cosmic battle that was taking place here, and they were a part of it. And they could know that in this cosmic battle, they know who wins. And they could go to God, confident in God, that he was on their side. And now the prayer returns to the concept of God's sovereignty. These wicked men in crucifying Jesus did what God had predestined to take place. And God is not surprised by any of it. He is not the author of sin, but ultimately it's part of his plan. God is sovereign and man is responsible. This is a profound mystery, but scripture teaches both. And so we embrace both. We looked at this also in Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Friends, no earthly authority can succeed in thwarting God's will. Even those who would make themselves their enemies, God's enemies are under God's reign and they cannot do anything, they cannot even breathe unless God allows it. And God in his providence will use all things, even the actions of wicked men for his glory and for our good. But only now, with the foundation of who God is now laid, does the prayer move to petition. And again, here is where the, the prayer differs from Hezekiah's prayer. Hezekiah prayed for deliverance. They prayed for boldness. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with praying for deliverance. We'll find that, that at other times in Acts, we'll find the church praying for deliverance. But here they prayed for boldness. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. First, just notice how they address the petition. And now, Lord. I believe that, that this is a prayer directly to Jesus as they rec regularly address Jesus as, as Lord. And I think there's, there's many examples of this in the scriptures that we should pray prayers that are consciously Trinitarian. Consciously Trinitarian prayers. Conscious that we're praying to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is one God in three persons, then there is one will and one purpose in the Godhead, but each member of the Trinity has a different role in redemption. 
Now, there's a great deal of, of overlap between the, the different roles of each member of the Trinity, as we discussed this morning in Sunday school. But, but each member of the Trinity has a different emphasis of function. And so we, we pray consciously Trinitarian prayers. So those who pray to the triune God recognize themselves as servants of God. But this word that the ESV translates servants is not the same word as is used in verse 27, God's referring to God's servant Jesus. Here the, the word is, is better translated slaves. We are your slaves, they're saying to God. But now when, when we think of the word slaves, we have all kinds of, of images that, that come to mind of the wickedness of, of Western slavery. Right? In the, in the 18th and 19th century slavery, there was, was, a, was a wicked, wicked institution. Now there's a, a word in the Bible that actually describes that. It's called man-stealing. And that, that slavery is actually it's a, it's a capital punishment. It's a capital crime punishable by death. The slavery in the ancient Near East, the slavery that, that you see here referred to, is, is not that kind of slavery. Fully one-third of, of the population of Rome were slaves. But, but they were not slaves in the, in the sense of, 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 of the chains and the, the horrors that, that we see from, from the United States earlier in its history. The, the, many slaves, there were doctors and teachers were slaves. People would actually sell themselves into slavery to get out of debt. People would, would become Slaves because they would actually have a, a better life than they would have trying to live on their own. And so we, we, we see here, again, try to, to think about this as the word is, is used. But so, so to understand for us as slaves of God, we, we're now not, not in, we're now in subjection to him. But what we now belong to him as those who have been purchased by him. The word redemption is, is the word that's used to describe being bought back. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're now slaves to God. We belong to God, lock, stock, and barrel. That's what it means to be a slave of God. And so as slaves of God, we want, they're saying, we want to serve you, God. We want to obey you. We want to live for you. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to live faithfully to you. And this really, they're praying that they would not fear man, but they would have a holy fear of God that would lead them to faithfulness to God. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus taught the same principle in Luke chapter 12. And here the church saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they wanted to be bold just like that. They wanted to be bold just like that because Jesus was bold just like that. They wanted to be bold like Jesus. So this was a prayer that God would move in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit to help them not to fear man, but to fear God. Again, it's a prayer for boldness. When we have a holy fear of God, when we have reverent awe of God, we will not cower no matter what anyone else says or does. We will faithfully bear witness to Jesus Christ. Just like this. So now in verse 30, they, they consider the, the miracles that have been performed through the apostles. Again, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're here expressing confidence that Christ was at work. That the, these miracles that were performed through the name of Christ were, were performed according to Christ's power and Christ's authority. And they recognize that opportunities came after the miracles, after the signs. 
This was, again, the, the pattern that we see throughout Acts. It was sign and then sermon. Sign and then sermon. But, but this is not normative. This is not something that, that we should expect today. Now, God can still uh, work through miracles, and, and, God's, and those miracles will, I'm sure, um, provide opportunities to, 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 to preach the name of Christ. But it's, it's not dependent in the same way that it was in the, in the early church. Before the closing of the canon of Scripture, during the age of the apostles, there would be a sign that would be, provide the confirmation of the teaching, the message of the apostles, that they were sent by God. Very specific purpose for a very specific time. And then in verse 31, we see that their prayer is answered immediately. It's answered immediately. Hezekiah's prayer was answered immediately too with the Assyrians wiped out. And Sennacherib killed by his own sons. But here, the very different prayer of the church was answered in a very different way. Friends, don't be discouraged, again, if God does not answer your prayers immediately. The Lord is teaching you perseverance in prayer. He is teaching you to press into Him. Continue to trust him, and he will answer in his way and his time. But when these men and women prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The place was shaken. There was an earthquake, which is a, a common sign in the Old Testament of the presence of the Lord. The last time we saw an earthquake was at the end of Luke when there was an earthquake at the death of Christ. God is present. As Chrysostom preached on this passage, the place was shaken and that made them all the more unshaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They experienced the same boldness that Peter and John had experienced. They were now, all of them, as Peter had been before, we're told, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Sorry, it filled with the Holy Spirit. They're already indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That The once for all indwelling that all Christians, subsequent to Pentecost, are blessed with. However, the filling of the Holy Spirit takes place afterwards. This is a, a subsequent and repeatable event with a specific purpose for a specific time. Right after, the, after Pentecost, all Christians are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But there's something else that can take place. There could be a, a filling of, of Christians after that for a specific purpose. So, so in order to, to be able to, to preach, preach to somebody you would not normally be able to preach to, to stand up for righteousness in a way that you would not normally in, in, be able to stand up for. There's a, a special filling of the Holy Spirit that, that takes place afterwards. That's, that's again, it's sub subsequent and repeatable. We need to pray for this. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray that we all would be filled with the Holy Spirit, not so we can go, ooh, ah, but so that we too can speak the word of God with boldness. With boldness, that we can speak the word of God with boldness in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, on the street corner, no matter what anyone else says or does. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can testify of Jesus Christ to this dark world. We do not face 
the same level of persecution or the same threats that these disciples faced. But many of our brothers and sisters face that, face this and, and even worse around the world today. Consider the example of, of Robert Okia and Wilberforce Matenga in Uganda, who we prayed for last week. These men, after being used of God to, to preach the gospel in a Muslim village where, where eight people came to saving faith, when they came to the next village, they, they were persecuted, they were beaten horrifically, they were stabbed and were thrown on the edge of a swamp. And when these men were, it, were thankfully they were rescued and brought to, to hospital, but they, they didn't pray their, 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 for vengeance on their enemies. They, they didn't pray even for healing, but they, they prayed that... that they asked us for prayer for boldness. Because they said their plan is as soon as we get better, we're going back out there again. We're going to the next Muslim village. And the next, and the next, and the next, as long as the, the Lord gives them strength. May we look to the example of men like this. May we be men and women like this. Boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's really, as, as we go through the book of Acts, I, I, I'm praying, and Pastor Joshua is praying, that the Lord will fan into a flame this boldness through the filling of the Holy Spirit in you and in me, that the church will grow. And I don't just mean this little local church will grow, but that Christ's church, his universal church, will grow through the proclamation of the word of God, through the proclamation of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you lived the righteous life and died a sinner's death, that you were raised on the third day, that you won the victory of our greatest, over our greatest enemy, that of death. Lord Jesus, that you were for a time made an enemy to your heavenly Father so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you were raised on the third day, victorious over sin and death and hell, and that you are now ascended to the Father's right hand, and that you are even now at this moment interceding for us. We thank you also, Holy Spirit, for the fact that you are interceding for us with, with groanings too deep for words. So often we don't even know what to pray for as we ought, but you are praying for us. Lord Jesus, you are praying for us before the throne of God. We pray that you would fill us, Holy Spirit, strengthen us, embolden us to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in a, in a strength that is far beyond anything that, that human flesh could ever do so that you would get the glory and that you will work in us and that you will work in the hearts of those to whom we preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit would regenerate their hearts and that your kingdom would grow through the ministry of this local church. Strengthen us, we pray. Embolden us, we pray. Help us, Lord, to have a holy fear of you that would cause us to reject any fear of man. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.